Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth. And I'm Zach. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. We are. We are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. What's, what's going on? What? What do we mean what's going on? You're, you're just, you're looking around. You're doing I know. a bunch of stuff. I'm always looking around and doing a bunch of stuff. Just tossing paperwork over here, filing files. No one files files in this office except for me. No, no. Well, we don't have a lot of files. We do. We have all these bills that we haven't paid. I mean, I, I just put them in a pile over here. We don't actually pay them, but... No, no, no. We just we stack them neatly like yeah. Jenga. Rent? Who needs that? <laughs> nah, we, we're, we're basically squatting here. These rent letters are for somebody else that used to be here. <laughs> Anyway, what have you been playing recently? Seth, recently I've been playing Star Wars Republic Commandos. Oh, that's a fun game. It is. It's a tactical first-person shooter released in 2005 by LucasArts. I have been playing the PC version uh, that was at least on Steam. And uh, in the game, you play as a squad leader of an elite clone trooper group. Your character is named Boss, which is a good name for the leader, and uh, you are the boss of Delta Squad. Uh, The game is actually set concurrently with the events of Attack the Clones and just before Revenge of the Sith. So you start off in the Battle of Geonosis, and then you go on some other various missions, and then I think one of the last missions you have to fight, or find, General Grievous. But not fight him, just find him. Yeah, you just gotta hunt him down. Well, you can't kill him, because that's not your job, but... Obi-Wan does that in the third movie. Do you make it so he has coffees? I don't know. I haven't gotten that far yet. I just know for a fact that General Grievous shows up. And then it's like rolls credits. You know it'd be funny if they embedded the next movie into the game? Oh, that would be funny. What if every texture was a frame of the of the movie? <laughs> no. No, after General Grievous shows up, it like rolls credits and then immediately goes into the scroll for the actual movie. That would also be fun. But yeah, it's it's a Star Wars first-person shooter. You fight battle droids. You do it in a tactical way, however. Because you're the leader of a elite group of clone troopers, you have to kind of uh, direct your fellow troops to do tasks such as open doors or blow things up. These are all things that your guy could probably do himself. And I think sometimes I get the option to just do it myself, but I like telling people to do it for me. <laughs> no, I think that I think they all could do all of the tasks, but some like to do the other tasks better. Yeah. Because yeah, there's like an yeah. explosive expert who likes blowing things up, but you can blow things up if you want. Yeah, I think he's faster at blowing things up. But it's all relative. One thing, very minor critique about the game. Beyond the fact that I I have encountered some weird glitches. and I don't know if it's just my version of Republic Commandos or if this was just glitches that were in the game. Uh, Like I was walking back into a corner and my guy clipped through the wall. (laughs) So I don't think that was supposed to happen. But one of my minor critiques is that all of the clone troopers have different voice actors, which is odd. So your guy, Boss, is played by Tamira Morrison, which makes sense because he was Jango Fett and now Boba Fett and is also the voice of all the clone troopers in the movies. However, some of the other clone troopers are voiced by Tom Kane, who does not try to do a Tamara Morrison accent. And then there's also this other voice actor, Jonathan David Cook, who plays uh, a couple members of your team, who also doesn't try to do like a Tamara Morrison voice. So Dee Bradley Baker plays the clone troopers in Clone Wars, and he's not trying to do a Tamara Morrison impression. He just like does a New Zealand adjacent accent. But like these guys didn't even try. <laughs> and like Tamara Morrison was in the game like they could have been like hey Tamara are you fine with us trying to adapt to your voice it doesn't sound like
like they they put a lot of effort into voicing these clone troopers who are all supposed to be identical and sound the same. Maybe these clone troopers had something happen to their vocal cords their vocal cords yeah but one's just like a generic clone trooper who's just like all right boys we gotta go take that point and then he gets blown up maybe that's why he got blown up because maybe he was an imposter maybe he was an imposter maybe he was some like random schlub off the street weren't there some cons no maybe that's later when the empire starts figuring out that yeah when the empire starts doing their thing and when they're phasing out the clone troops they started conscripting because they realized that they didn't want to pay the people of Kamino to keep making clones right. so <laughs> if you could script people and force them to go to work they are cheaper than a clone the empire realized if you outsourced your army there's a slight chance that that could turn against you if you're not too nice to the people you're outsourcing to yes you should so insource and you can control your costs but in any case, Republic Commandos, is, it's a fun game. I do like the tactical elements of it, and uh, I think it's overall pretty fun time. Seth, what about you? What have you been playing recently? So recently, I've been playing uh, Unpacking, which is a internet trend that I'm a little behind since I bought the game at a discount. Whenever I buy a game at a discount, I know that the trend of the game is over. Unpacking is a puzzle game slash interior decorating game. It's You are um, given a cross-section of a room where you need to unpack boxes for these people. And you have to put things where they should be and not where they should not be. However, that definition is vague based on like there's I guess there's just these laws that are like laws of nature that apply and you shouldn't put your toothbrush in the sink you should put it on the side of the sink oh you can put the toothbrush in the sink but it will flash red and you have to move it to be somewhere else also you can't leave it on your bed I know some people like to leave their toothbrushes on their bed but in unpacking that's not an appropriate place for a toothbrush to go. So it has to go on the sink. However, it's okay with certain things being in different places. So like you can put a cookie jar on the counter of the kitchen. You could also take the cookie jar and put it on the very, very, very top shelf of the kitchen cabinet. And you actually get an achievement if you do that. You get the sometimes snack achievement if you put it on the top of the cabinet. And you essentially do this through more and more rooms. So the first room is just like a kid's bedroom and there's only only a few boxes. And then you get like uh, your first apartment where there's a kitchen, a bathroom, and the bedroom. And you're unpacking more boxes and then you move into like someone's first house where you have like five rooms to unpack and as you play through the game not only do you unpack things from a box you unpack the story as it unfolds so it's a a pretty good very chill kind of game that I I actually was really getting into and and enjoying and it's fun because you can just spend time just like ah, making sure all the books go from biggest to smallest or you know if you want to make the match by color however you wish and the art style is cute it's very much like a realistic cartoon I would say I don't know if I mentioned it It was developed by uh, Witchbeam and uh, published by Humble Games and uh, it came out uh, November of last year I think I remember seeing it at PAX of 2020. Probably, yeah. I yeah. It was also, it blew up on the internet and it was very popular and everyone was Twitch streaming it for a while. Now, I don't think there are because everyone's playing Elden Ring. 
Well, today we're talking about something completely different because we're not really even talking about a video game today. No, no, but it's still a game. Well, yeah, it's adjacent to a game. You need it for technically need it to play some games. Listen, if it gets put into the box with a game console, we can talk about it. Keep an eye out for styrofoam inserts. <laughs> That's right. We're going to have styrofoam inserts, maybe some uh, thin cardboard that you use to separate packages. I can't wait for Classic Gaming Brothers episode on silica packets. Silica packets. Don't Do worry. Not eat. You can. <laughs> <laughs> no, today we're talking about a accessory of sorts to the Nintendo Entertainment System. Rob, the robotic operating buddy. Well, I like to call Rob the Robot. Yes, so I like to call him Rob the Robot too, but I looked up Rob the Robot and apparently it's a children's show that came out in the last few years. Correct. And I could not find anything related to the NES toy. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. No, I think it's just Rob because I think Robot is in the name of Rob, isn't it? It's Robotic Operating Buddy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Rob is, you wouldn't you wouldn't be the Robotic Operating Buddy Robot. Yeah. yeah that's just, that's dumb. <laughs> Well, you would be Johnny Five the Robot, but you wouldn't be Rob the Robot. Is essentially how it works. But anyway, we call him Rob the Robot because we're dumb. But in uh, 1983, due to uh, a heavily oversaturated market of game consoles and a large amount of bad video games available for said consoles, the gaming market collapsed. And we we talked about. Uh, the gaming market crashing as a, a number of pivot turns for a lot of companies and people that were impacted. Many people lost their jobs. Many people rediscovered themselves. And it really impacted the whole industry as a whole. Now, within 1983, there were more than 16 video game consoles available from many different companies. Atari had the 2600 and the 5200. Bally released the uh, Astro there was the ColecoVision by Coleco. Mattelatronics released the Intellivision. Fairchild had their Channel F. There was also RCA Studio 2 done by RCA. And then there was the Vetrix and so on and so forth. There was a lot of choices out there. Consumers could choose any of these consoles and many of them were garbage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure there are many people that are passionate about one or more of these systems. Don't worry, we're not talking about your system in particular. We're talking about the ones that you hate and are garbage. But the That's ones right. that you particularly like, we like Those as were great. Well. Those were <laughs> Those great. were fantastic. And on these consoles, they had a lot of games. And those games were also garbage. But not your favorite game, listener. The That's game right. you like on that console that was really good. That game was great, too. There was just a lot of saturation. It's kind of like the world that we're living in now with, like, all the different streaming shows. There's just a lot of streaming shows to choose from, and not all of them are good. <laughs> If you ever felt like you're looking at a sea of Netflix and don't know what to watch and the choice that you made was wrong, that's what it was like living in the 80s when it came to video game consoles. Now, we've simplified video game consoles, but we have like an overabundance of TV shows. So maybe who knows? Maybe in the next 20 years, we'll be back to having 400 different options of video game consoles. Since Activision had split off from Atari in 1979, third-party game developers were on the rise and none of the companies imposed very strict regulations on who could make a game for their system. Imagic, Coleco, Parker Brothers, CBS Video Games, Mattel, all released games for 
their own systems and also for the Atari 2600. Uh, and a lot of these competitors didn't have skillful programmers on their team, hence making these games that weren't any good. There was also reports of industrial espionage, such as companies poaching employees from their competition. In June 1982, there were about 100 games available for the 2600. By December, there were over 400 games in the same year. It's an estimated that in 1983, there were over 158 companies that had developed for the Atari 2600 at the Consumer Electronics Show of that year. So we're talking about like entire two aisles of back-to-back booths of <laughs> Atari 2600 game developers. It was everyone. It literally was everyone was out there. That's true. And like Mattel probably had a developer to develop for the Atari, as well as working on the Intellivision. And on the topic of like corporate espionage and just companies that made intentional decisions that might seem strange, let's take a look at Coleco. They released games for the ColecoVision. They also released games for the Atari. Their games on the Atari are far less superior than their games on the ColecoVision. Now, Coleco says this is because the hardware was not compatible with their games. However, it was very convenient for them to have a commercial where the say this is donkey kong on the atari and this is donkey kong on the ColecoVision. both were their games <laughs> like they made both games they just made atari's donkey kong bad so that they could sell the ColecoVision version that's the kind of business that these companies were operating back in the 80s and there was no nobody was stopping it no one because yeah. everyone was doing it just like other things that happened in the 80s and as we mentioned, the quality of the games during this time really varied. Activision put out some classics like Pitfall, while other companies were releasing things like Journey Escape, a game based on the rock group Journey. Or you had a such classic titles like Chase the Chuck Wagon, produced by Ralston Purina, which also makes dog food. <laughs> <laughs> It was a mess. Stores were running out of space, literal space, for games. Publishers couldn't pay back retailers, and companies were folding left and right. Video game sales went from over $3.2 billion, and that's with a B, in 1982, to $100 million in 1985. And it seemed that video games were going to be a thing of the past, at least until a little company from Japan came overseas. That's right, because while the American video game market was completely collapsing, Japan actually did see a slight dip in game sales, but they called it like the Atari crash because it was primarily American video game consoles that were being affected by this. But Nintendo saw the video game crash as an opportunity. You see, they had their more colorful Famicom system over in Japan that was doing pretty well, and they redesigned it to fit a market that had lost interest in video games. And as we've talked about in previous episodes, the Nintendo Entertainment System that we got was designed to look more like a utility, similar to a VCR. Uh, it was a front-loading uh, machine. It had like a little flap that you put down. It really does look more like something that you would see as a utility versus something that you would see a video game sticking out of. Beyond the redesigned console, Nintendo also wanted their system to come with accessories. Thus, we have the robotic operating buddy, 
or Rob. Now, Rob was based on a previously designed toy called the Family Computer Robot, which was released in 1985 as an accessory for the Famicom. This toy was designed and patented by Gunpei Yokoi, who we've talked about a lot on this podcast. He's the guy who did the Virtual Boy. He's the guy that did the Game & Watch. He's the guy that did the Game Boy. Gunpei Yokoi is the guy of many trades, and he also designed what became Rob. The Family Computer Robot was designed to work alongside the Famicom. The Rob unit that we got was designed also to be centerpiece to the NES platform, and was presented as such during the 1985 Summer Consumer Electronics Show in Chicago. In fact, a brochure that was distributed at the show showed a prototype NES console and a Rob unit sitting next to it. And above this was text floating in the air above a TV playing Duck Hunt. And the text said, Our new video robot is the first of a long line of winners coming from Nintendo. Rob was billed as the star of the Nintendo Entertainment System and reportedly brought intrigued visitors to Nintendo's booth at CES. Though ultimately, no one signed up to be the distributor for the NES, which might have made Nintendo a little wary, potentially, but they were undaunted. And the NES was launched with Rob as the deluxe set in 19. 85 in New York City as a test market, with further test markets expanding to include LA, Chicago, and San Francisco. Now, part of the goal of the Rob unit was to establish the NES as a toy and not as a video game system, meaning the system was to be found in the toy aisle along with other popular toys of the 1980s, like Transformers, who are also robots. This helped push past the negative stigma associated with video games games as a whole and gave Nintendo a strong starting off point in the market. Now the deluxe set came bundled with the NES itself called the control deck for Rob, a zapper, and copies of Gyromite and Duck Hunt. Later in 1985 another game called Stack Up was released and this was the last game that would be compatible with the Rob accessory. And we talk about the Zapper back in our Duck Hunt episode. This is the other things of the Deluxe. Now, the name Rob was picked by Gail Titan, the sole marketing staff member at Nintendo of America. Gail originally thought to name the toy Auto as a play on the word auto, like in cars, but she opted for the robotic operating buddy. The Rob version for the NES was painted gray to match the redesigned unit so that the NES and Rob were the same colors. Rob kind of looks like the robot from Short Circuit Johnny 5. It has two large eyes inside the head unit that protrudes from the main body and attached are two arms that bend to allow him to pick things up. His body can actually slide up and down the central neck of the unit itself. Now the Rob unit itself actually works a lot like a zapper. In the sense it uses its eyes to read the TV and looking for optical changes in the TV, such as flashing lights. Because of the similarity in technology, Rob units won't work with modern televisions. It's exactly the same reason why a zapper won't work for a modern television. The refresh rate on modern LED screens and OLED screens and the like is just, it's not the same as what it was on a CRT. And a CRT just has a faster refresh rate for something like the flash that you get. The compatible games would actually send commands to Rob through flashing on the screen and allow him to move around. I will 
will say I've watched gameplay of Gyromite being played. It looks obnoxious. Like, let me just say, as cool as Rob is, the screen flashes every couple of minutes, similar to what you see in Duck Hunt, but sometimes it's like colors will flash and it just looks like, it just looks bad. Like, it looks like it would give me a massive headache. And this was before, like, video games got epileptic warnings. (laughs) Yes, yeah, this was like... This is pre-Pokemon and the Porygon, you know, issue. This is, this was, this was bad. Anyway, after Rob receives the commands from the series of flashes, it would then move and interact with various accessories that were related to the appropriate game. And again, there are two games, Gyromite and Stackup. Gyromite is a puzzle platformer and Rob would actually spin some tops called gyros. Rob would place the tops on these red or blue kind of like tray-like buttons and these buttons would actually correspond to buttons being pressed on the second controller. You could actually play Gyromite entirely with a second controller and no Rob unit. It probably wouldn't be the same type of experience but it might be a bit quicker because Rob moves very slowly. Again, Gyromite plays like a puzzle platformer. You have this character who has to collect bombs and stuff before they explode, and they're blocked off by colored pillars, uh, red and blue pillars. And basically what Rob has to do is pick up a top and place it on either a red or a blue button to drop or raise the red or blue pillars. I will uh, reiterate that Rob is very, very slow. I don't know exactly the the time frame you had to disarm these bombs. I would not be surprised if a lot of people lost Gyromite, because that's how slow Rob is. He just moves at the slowest of paces. Rob moves at his own speed. Rob does move at his own speed. Stack Up is kind of more of a just plain old puzzle game. You have some circular objects that are actually called blocks, which is a bit confusing uh, because they are circular shaped. They're not square shaped. But these circular blocks would then be stacked by the Rob unit. In the game, there are three modes, direct, memory, and bingo. In direct, you must match the objects with the ones on the screen, exactly as shown. In memory, the player has to input commands to recreate the displayed blocks, and Rob would then repeat the commands and presumably try to match what you designed. Are you testing Rob's memory with this? I I guess so. I think it's like you would see an image on the screen and then it would disappear and then you would have to like try oh, to remember and then you what would it looked like it, and, and then, then Rob, Rob would make, make it. And finally the last game Bingo is uh you just must stack to whatever corresponds on the screen but there's no uh like co- there's no color pattern. Color doesn't matter in this version. I don't know why it's called Bingo. Yeah, those are the those are the two games that were released for Rob officially. To talk about the numbers as it were. Ultimately the gimmick of Rob it was successful uh, with the launch of the uh, system in the American market in the first holiday season, selling 50,000 deluxe sets of Nintendo, which was half the inventory that they created for that particular selling period. And they set aside. They were like, all right, we're going to make 100,000. And we launched first holiday season, 50,000 units went out the door. So they were off to a good start. In, in fact, they were off to such an amazing start that the following year, they did a market research survey to find out what they did right. And I identify what why were people buying nintendos because they were happy that people were buying nintendos but they wanted people to continue to buy nintendos they discovered through this market research that one of the main reasons behind the success of the sales of nintendo was that kids wanted the systems with rob the robot so rob performed as he should have acted like a trojan horse as did the Zapper, both the Zapper and Rob kind of Trojan horse their way into past the threshold 
of the home and into the living rooms. And once they were there, people who owned the Nintendos found that there were more, I would say, in the notes I say, refined games, like Super Mario Brothers. But it's it's true, right? So Nintendo had a lot more games that had a little bit more depth available on the controller, and people learned how to use the controller and use the, the more in-depth games. And thus, Nintendo was in business after a video game crash. So they were able to set themselves aside from the other competitors and from the whole market. At this time, you could be buying like in televisions in the discount bin, but Nintendo was, you know, MSRP at whatever that deluxe set was at 400 bucks, I think. They were at a high MSRP and they were making sales and they were selling through their inventory. It was a good bet and it was a good idea to kind of uh, warp what Nintendo was actually selling. They're like, buy this VCR with a gun. People are like, yes. <laughs> Not just a VCR with a gun, a VCR with a gun and a robot friend. <laughs> now, Rob left quite an impact in gaming history. Not only did Rob establish Nintendo to be in the perfect place it needed to be in 1985, and not only did it redefine what video games were, but it also helped revitalize an entire industry that was nearly dead. And also, it's largely thanks to Nintendo's really careful planning when it came to the US market in terms of why the video game market got back to where it did and where it is. One thing we talked about at the beginning of this episode was how there was an oversaturation of game consoles and an oversaturation of companies making games for game consoles. One of the things Nintendo did was they said no to to third-party developers. Basically, they said, if you want to make a game for our system, go right ahead, but it comes through us first and we put the stamp of approval on it. And yes, there were unlicensed and bootleg games that came out for the NES. There are few and far between compared to the officially stamped licensed games that Nintendo approved of. And I think that did help kind of reshape the gaming market along with Rob. And I think Rob was certainly a center point and one of the reasons why Nintendo did as well as it did at the very beginning. But I think also Nintendo was just very smart in seeing the mistakes that companies like Atari made and found a way to take those mistakes and essentially turn them into profit. Despite only having two official games that were compatible with the unit, Rob has since made cameos in very other properties. He actually showed up in another NES game called Star Tropics, uh, which is obviously not compatible with Rob, but he does make a little cameo. There are also various WarioWare games that he shows up in. He's in one of the Star Fox games, and he's an unlockable character in both Mario Kart DS and the Super Smash Brothers games. In fact, one of the Super Smash Brothers games has a story mode, and Rob is like a central character to that story mode. Well, he's a central character to Nintendo. Exactly. He's like a plot-relevant character in the story mode. There is also an unofficial third game that was released in 2014 by the company RetroZone that was compatible with Rob. This was part of their 8-bit Christmas line of cartridges. So RetroZone is a company that has produced a numerous line of homebrew and uh, reproduction cartridges. They also create the AVS, which is one of the early FPGA NES clones. It's one of the more sought-after ones because they usually only come out in limited supply. But um, every year for the past, like, 
like 10 years, maybe more, they have produced a Christmas-themed cartridge. And this cartridge is usually filled with mini-games and also has LEDs so that it will light up when you plug it in. And it will play 8-bit Christmas tunes uh, when you put it on certain settings. And the 8-bit Christmas 2014 cartridge makes Rob dance. Oh, that's fun. That's all it does. It just makes him, makes him do a little boogie to the Christmas music, which I love that. That's that's great. Do more things like that with Rob, please. But uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's Rob, the robotic operating buddy, the little robot who could. That's right. Or I guess could not since he's no longer being sold. <laughs> so that's going to be our, our, as Zach just said, our Rob episode. We're going to go on to our byway pass. Boopa. I'm going to go first this time because I like going first. This game is actually a twofer. I'm going to talk to you about a game that came out a while ago and a game that's coming out soon. And in this game, it's uh, it's a very atmospheric type puzzle platformer where you take control of your character and have to explore an apocalypse in a weird contraption. Okay, what game is this? So the games that I think that you would be interested in are there's Far, Lone Sails, and Far changing tides lone sales came out in 2018 changing tides is going to come out or it has come out march 1st of this year okay well i'm gonna take a look at these games and we'll be right back And we're back. So uh, as Seth mentioned, the game that actually is coming out or did come out is Far Changing Tides, which released on March 1st of 2022, is developed by Oko Motive and published by Frontier Foundry. And this is a s- sequel follow-up to... Uh, far loan sales. So as Seth suggested, I, I took a look at both. Both games are set in a like post-apocalyptic world where you are manning this large vessel as it traverses across the empty seabeds where the water has dried up in the first one. The, the second game also looks to be in a post-apocalyptic world where you're traversing with a large device, but on the water. <laughs> so that would not be an empty seabed. It would be a full seabed. Pretty full seabed. Full of yeah. sea. Uh, so yeah, the second game there is water both games give me kind of a barrel trauma vibe in the sense that the when you're inside the vessel it takes a cross-section view i do really like barrel trauma though it seems like this is not necessarily the barrel trauma style of gameplay whereas it's more of a puzzle platformer adventure game personally i'm very interested in this title as it's kind of a follow-up to a previous game i think i'm more interested in trying out the the first game and then maybe eventually down the line trying changing tides so i'm going to put it down as a way because I do want to check out Lone Sales first just to kind of see if it's the type of game I want to play um, as the both games do look very similar in terms of the actual gameplay mechanics and what you do in the game and the overall aesthetic of the game. So I'm going to put it down as a wait because I want to check out Lone Sales first and then if I like Lone Sales then I will pick up Changing Tides. Nice. Perfect. Are you ready for your game? I am ready. I actually might have done this for my own byway pass, but it's a pretty good game, I think. In this game, you're going to explore a massive fantasy world. Uh, a fantasy world that you can you can go around, you can take on different puzzles, and explore dungeons and various other type of uh, challenges. In the game, you have to deal with ancient powers and ferocious monsters, despite your character being very 
very tiny and they might have to uh really kind of put up a fight against some of these creatures and stuff that they encounter what's the game called tunic all right well i'm gonna go research the game and we'll uh get right back to you So we're back. Tunic is most likely called Tunic because it's a little fox that wears a tunic who looks kind of like Link from Legends of Zelda. And the gameplay is similar to like a classic Zelda game where you are handling puzzles and kind of uh, exploring this uh, what appears to be some manner of limited open world. There's also a really cool map. I think the map is my favorite part. There's like a... a, So the game takes place in an isometric 3D environment, um, but there's a map that's like a 2D hand-drawn map that you can use to reference where you're going. And that just kind of looks cool. It does look like a game that would be best played with a controller. It also looks like a game that's going to come to the Switch at any point in time. I'm going to put it down as a wait. It looks like a game that I could probably have a lot of fun playing with it on my couch, which I always like those games. So I'll put it down as a wait. Sounds good. Especially if I get that Zelda itch, but I want to play Zelda. That happens. So thanks for joining us on this episode where we talked about Rob the Robot and things. If you would like to hear more episodes we're available on all the podcasting apps so feel free to listen to us on those if you wish to know more about when episodes will be coming out you can follow us on our social medias our facebook our instagram and our twitch is uh, at classic gaming brothers and our twitter is cg brothers pod where we announce every time we release a new episode which is always on sunday if you would like to support the podcast you can always give us a rating and you can always send us an email with uh some criticism or critiques about the episodes or if you want to hear about a new topic email us at classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com and perhaps you may even you may win a free game and i think i've covered everything is there anything else that i'm missing don't play games like my brother and don't play games like my brother i've been zach and i've been seth we've been the classic gaming brothers that's That's right. right